Oh, hey, Morgan here. And in case you missed it, Hannah and I usually start every podcast recording session grabbing our afternoon coffee. If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, you can now fuel the podcast by buying us a coffee. No, really. There's a website called buymeacoffee.com. And all you have to add is a forward slash and we pod. That's buymeacoffee.com slash W-I-I-P-O-D. We love creating the pod. You love listening to the pod. Support the pod financially by buying us a coffee. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive in to today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Weight Inclusive Innovator podcast. Today, we are chatting with the co-founders of Arise, Amanda and Joan, about building a mental health startup, getting backed by venture capitalists, what it takes to challenge assumptions around eating disorders, and how Arise is expanding access to inclusive, effective care. Let's start with introducing our guests. Amanda is the co-founder and CEO of Arise, bringing her own lifelong experiences with eating disorders and mental health conditions to build accessible, inclusive, and empathetic support for others. Amanda has spent over a decade working in mental health and suicide prevention, including at digital health startups, Quartet, City Block, and Brightline. She lives in New York City with her fiance, Dan, who is also a founder, check out Donut, and loves music, journalism, Knicks games, beach time on Fire Island, and New York bagels. Joan is the co-founder and chief product officer of Arise and brings her own lived experience with eating disorders and mental health conditions alongside a deep empathy for diversity of mental health journeys of so many people to drive her work. She's a product leader in the mental health tech space. Because of personal lived experience, Joan has focused her career on leveraging technology to increase accessibility to mental health care at companies like Headspace, Health, and Click Therapeutics. Joan lives in Houston, Texas with her partner, Eric, and their endlessly entertaining puppy, Ari, and perpetually grumpy cat, Charlie. Let's dive into our conversation with Amanda and Joan. Amanda and Joan, welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us. Ooh, we are so excited you're here. This is super fun because I literally met both of y'all in person last week from recording this. And so it's like fun now that we've already like gone to lunch and gone to happy hour. And now we're just like sitting down and recording a podcast. We love it. Go ahead and tell us how Arise came to be. We'll just jump right into it. I would love to hear y'all's founder story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for both of us and, and Joan can share her story, this is really deeply personal. Um, we, we've experienced eating disorders ourselves. We've lived with other mental health conditions and, uh, I think really just came out of both those experiences, but also such a realization that everybody's experiences are different with these conditions and that care for what the, these really complex, conditions that affect so many aspects of your life 
it's just so constrained and one size fits all. So we really wanted to take what we've learned through our experiences and the experiences of others um, and, and build something new in the space. Um, just to share a little bit of, of my own personal journey on this, um, I was first diagnosed with OCD when I was 12. And that was really fear-based. It was uh, actually because I had a grandfather who lived with alcohol addiction and um, and had heart problems and all sorts of different things. And I remember distinctly him being in the hospital um, and there I had such a fear that that was going to happen to me if I ate fat or I ate certain things. Uh, and so eventually that led into not just OCD, but also a full-blown eating disorder. So I was diagnosed with anorexia and then uh, ultimately ended up in a partial hospitalization program and missed my first month of high school. And um, in those experiences, it was kind of my like first foray into care. Um, And and we can get into this if y'all would like, but had some pretty tough experiences with that care, which meant that way down the line when I was in my 20s and dealing with another acute eating disorder again, there's no way I wanted to go anywhere near traditional care. And as a part of that too, you know, as an adult, it was very different than navigating this as a teenager, like parents weren't involved, was largely navigating on my own. I was living alone at the time, experiencing really severe depression. Uh, and, and it just kept going for four, almost five years because I didn't want to get care and had, you know, access barriers also like didn't want to take time off of the career that I'd worked really hard to build. And, and I will say too, like that's coming from somebody who does hold a lot of privilege and um, does fit more of the typical stereotype of what we think of as someone who has an eating disorder. And so for the many more folks who are actually experiencing eating disorders and don't represent that incorrect stereotype, like the barriers are just so much greater. And that really um, was kind of a, a part of the spark for me on how can we just tackle this, this really, really needed care and, and bring that to people who haven't been seen or heard as having, as having eating disorders. Yeah. And you'll hear in both of our stories, like we're just two people, but even our experiences with the eating disorder was, were so different. Um, for me, it was, it started my freshman year of college and really was, you know, rooted in a lot of family trauma growing up and um, a lot of just this feeling of not ever being worthy and not ever being enough. And at first it started with, you know, let me just focus on my my schoolwork and my academics. And that's how I'll demonstrate to the world that I, I deserve to be here. And then once that was over, it was like, well, move on to the next thing. I got to change how I look. And what was so devastating was that when other, when I did change how I looked and when I did, you know, actively engage in eating disorder behaviors, it was rewarded and it was complimented and it further reinforces. And I think, you know, what was so devastating to me on the inside was the fact that like, in order for me to finally, like truly feel accepted by the people around me, it was absolutely taking over my life. I had no space for anything else. And it felt pretty hopeless to wake up every morning and feel like this is it. Like this is what it takes to, you know, be successful or be accepted and be loved and worthy in this world, I guess. Um, and it took a lot of, you know, work to, to really, you know, work through that. And um, I, I, similar to Amanda, was, you know, really privileged to have access to mental health care, um, but also went through a lot of barriers myself where I didn't have family members at all to really navigate 
you know, the care system with me, didn't talk about mental health growing up. So the whole journey of therapy was very new to me. Um, I didn't, you know, I remember being in a hospital and on the the hospital bed um, with, you know, EKG stuff strapped all over me and I was shivering and I had no idea why we were doing this, what was happening. It was just me alone at 19 years old with a doctor and it was really intimidating. And ultimately at the end of the semester, I just decided, well, no one's following up with me and uh, so I guess I'm better and I don't want to have to go back to the hospital every single day. So I'm just going to figure this out on my own. And I don't recommend that to <laughs> to folks, but I think, you know, it, it really speaks to the need to find a program that really centers and understands that like, you know, folks need to know what they're signing up for and folks need to have visibility into care and that that, you know, our voices can be trusted. Um, and, and ultimately, I think with Arise, Amanda and I both worked at a number of different mental health companies. And we're seeing that um, eating disorders were, were still ignored a lot of times, like anxiety, depression, that was that something we felt comfortable treating um, as, a, as a digital health company. But when it came to eating disorders, we had to say, oh, this is too complex and we're not, we can't do this, or we had to refer out. And oftentimes there weren't a lot of places to refer to. Um, and so we were recognizing, well, you know, technology has had a great impact in increasing access to broader mental health Let's see how we can start to do that and, and bridge the access barriers within the eating disorder space as well. We love a cause and a company that's influenced by personal journeys. I deeply relate um, to both of you in having an eating disorder and that leading to this purpose, which then leads to entrepreneurship. And I'd love to actually take it a step back for a moment for those who don't know, because obviously Morgan and I are super fans of Arise, but what the heck is Arise for those who don't know and what makes Arise different? Yeah, absolutely. Arise is virtual uh, eating disorder care that's really comprehensive and inclusive. So we're centering care on the individual experiences of the folks who are getting support through us. Um, we are different in a few different ways. One is that um, because of the time that Joan and I spent just speaking to folks of so many different backgrounds and experiences and hearing that community was really important for healing. So our model is different in that it actually brings together the community side of things and peer support and group support with clinical care and that our clinical care takes a really person-centered approach. So instead of a one-size-fits-all model or anchoring on any one particular modality, we're really building out the capabilities within our care team to have different specializations and different modalities. And because we're spending the time up front getting to know the member and their goals and their experiences in their life, we're then able to say, okay, we, we understand all of these things and now we can build a personalized care plan that's actually going to reflect what you individually need. Um, so, and, and there's, there's much more we could talk about there, but, but really that uh, kind of person-centered approach blended with the community care um, is some of what makes us different. Obviously we are, as Hannah mentioned, pretty big, super fans of Arise. We love the entrepreneur spirit, especially by a uh, women run company, as well as a company that really focuses on diversity, inclusivity. And I mean, that's something that Hannah and I have noticed as well. And like a lot of things that we talk about, especially on the business side is like, how can we build businesses, market ourselves, have practices that are reaching the people that they need to reach? <clears throat> And so y'all are backed by some VC firms, which I think is 
such a new, like new idea for the eating disorder space, especially with outpatient care. Do y'all mind sharing a little bit about like what made you decide that and kind of what that journey has been like? Yeah, it's been an interesting one for us because we've been so grateful to have the opportunity to go this route, which means that we have the funding to be able to go bring together a team and start to see members really quickly. Um, But of course, we want to make sure that the interests of our members and providers are always really top of mind. So um, for us, what that meant is when we went out and did our fundraise, we were really making sure that we were understanding who the folks that were investing in us were and that they were very deeply aligned uh, with our mission, with understanding what we were building, why we were building it, that they were very aligned with making sure that the priority was on the experience for the members and the experience for providers. Um, And so we were very cognizant of, you know, the pressures that venture-backed digital health companies often have and making sure that from the very first folks that we were bringing on to be a part of our investor syndicate, um, that they were really going to, to be on the same page with us with that. Um, and, and I will say to the other reason that we went that route, um, was because Joan and I have spent a lot of our careers in digital health. Um, so I, I've been at multiple different companies before, um, from the very early days on founding teams into when they grow very quickly and become big, big companies. Um, and so we've seen like the good and the bad of like what that means. And so we've had kind of eyes wide open of, um, being able to grow sustainably in this space. Um, and again, really prioritizing how this all feels for the the member and the provider. And I just have to say, Amanda is a champion in being just very firm, but really like, and very professional, but like pushing VCs. Like I remember we were going through this negotiation process with them and Amanda was here, like grilling them about, you know, we don't want to do fast member growth and like, tell me examples of how you've really encourage companies to slow their growth in favor of better clinical outcomes. So, I mean, I think it takes that type of leadership really um, and commitment to say, you know, we're going to find people who share the same values, who understand that we, you know, our goal is not to grow this and blitz scale this. Our goal is to be a business that will last so that we can be here for our members for the long haul. Um, And it's been really, I think, rewarding among some of our investors to have that really reaffirmed. Um, and, And I think it really is so important that like to remember that money is not just all equal or, you know, just money. It's, it comes with so many different things attached and it's important to understand what you are trading off or what you are, um, you know, what, what to, what to reconsider as you're exploring different partners. Yeah. And I, I think also like the amazing thing, uh, unfortunate thing, but amazing thing is that as we had a lot of those conversations, just emerged time and time again that people had experienced this themselves. So, you know, as opposed to some other businesses, I think where it's like, yeah, this is like a good thing to invest. Like I, you know, feel good about this. Um, there's something about, I think, experiencing an eating disorder, either yourself or with a loved one that just runs so deep. And so we've really had, uh, had a deep understanding of why this was so important. And those were the people that naturally we gravitated to, of course, right? It wasn't like, you know, can you go build cool brands with your portfolio companies? It was like, okay, do you actually understand what we're talking about when we talk about like how lonely and isolating it is to experience an eating disorder? I love hearing that the kind of like not pushback, but like the 
you're not just getting something from them. Like they're getting something from you too. And so making sure that like, I, I feel like so, so many things that I've seen and, and like just kind of assume from kind of that world is like rapid growth as quickly as possible. They want to make their money back. And so the fact that y'all were able to partner with people where it sounds like there was a lot of like value alignment with that and people that were uh, like, okay with some of that slow growth to ensure priority care is just incredible. Yeah. And, and I feel so grateful that we, that we have these folks who are aligned that way. Like even in recent, in recent months, you know, they've been talking with us about, um, you know, rather than some investors that you see, are just like, go to the next state faster, go to 50 states faster. Like ours are like, Hey, like how, how is this first state going? And like, can you go deeper in that market? Can you really engage in those communities as opposed to just like go as fast as you can and be pretty surface level? So we've, uh, we've been very lucky with, uh, with the folks we have around the table. Yeah. What states are y'all currently operating out of? We're currently live in Texas. So really building community with the folks here, um, and planning to expand to North Carolina next. Okay. Arise kind of came on my, my radar around the time that y'all, I think we're gearing up to launch. Um, and Texas and I actually had like an intern talk to me about it as well and was like, Hey, do you know anything about Arise? And so uh, I wasn't sure if Houston or if Texas was the first place. When did y'all officially start? Like, when did the idea of Arise begin? Oh, it's been fast. I'm like, actually, <laughs> uh, it's been Joan and I met, what was it, Joan? Like last December? Yep. Yeah. Uh, December, 2021. Yeah. 2021. That's right. Sorry. I don't even know what year we're in anymore. Um, yeah, it was a little over a year ago and, um, it, what it, it's so funny. Think of like serendipitous moments in your life that like at the time you're like, you just have no idea how big it's going to be. Um, and I remember those like early days, Joan and I would like, you know, we both had full-time jobs still. We were working in other startups, like working long days, but we'd still like carve out time um, in the evenings on weekends to just like get to know each other. And um, it just, it it felt so wild and yet so right that we were like, eventually, I mean, it was like a matter of weeks before I was like, okay, I think I'm quitting my job. Like, I think I'm going to leave my job so that we can like focus on this full time. Like this could be a real thing that we do together. And then, yeah, it's been just like off, off and running fast from then. And I think it really came down to when Amanda and I, like in our first meeting, it was so clear there were a lot of shared values. Um, and that was actually one of the first things that we did together was define our, our company values. Um, and you know, there was also a, a good complement of skill sets where like we both loved the, that that area and we weren't going to step on each other's toes. Uh, but I, I think a few key things, you know, one, I was actually just looking for someone who loved the external side, who loved the PR, the comms, the, um, the, the marketing, because that's just not what I, you know, live and breathe. And, you know, Amanda, I know was looking for someone on the product tech side. So I think first of all, like the complementing skill sets were, were there. And I think second of all, like, I think our life experience and our like work experience was very similar and like contributed to us being where we are today. Um, we both, you know, really focused on work in our early career and really wanted to grow and, and really be able to build something and um, had experienced work burnout ourselves and come out through the other side stronger for it. Um, but we're really cognizant that when we're starting this, 
it can't be our only focus um, that that will really ruin us. And so it was this balance and this understanding of how do we make sure we're there and keeping each other accountable throughout this process that when we do find ourselves like starting to experience that burnout, that we're constantly reminding each other like, okay, what, you know, the world is so big <laughs> and there's so much more. How do we start to see that a bit more? Um, and I think all, all of those reasons really made this partnership really work. And and I think we're also just in a point in our lives where we're just more mature. <laughs> and I think about what I would have done, you know, five, 10 years ago, it might not have been the same, but I think there's just such this trust that's been built even from day one. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention is um, I, I remember our first conversation, I was thinking, you know, what really matters to me about building a rise is that we're actually building a business that's centered on the folks who've been excluded from care. Um, and I don't know if this is appropriate to bring up in this first conversation. We're just meeting each other. That might be like a big thing. And literally, as I was thinking that Amanda brings it up and I'm like, yes, we're on the same page. We've got this. Um, and I think that that's really been core to how we've made our decisions going through all of this. That is so awesome. I know Amanda was saying just the concept of serendipity and having that thought around centering people who have been left out and building your business on that and getting the opportunity to start there is just so special and important. And it really ties back to you all saying like you defined your values at the very beginning and let everything flow from there. And that's so important because when it comes to the hard decisions that inevitably come with building a company and deciding next steps and working in this startup space, making those decisions comes back to values. And so I'm imagining you both meeting over Zoom because you're in different states and having coffee and, and chatting and like formulating all of this. And my brain on the entrepreneur side is like, okay, how did you decide how to structure this organization, all the roles that you would need? Um, what were the logistics of building this company? Tell me everything because I'm in the group practice space. I have a group practice where there's 10 of us. Um, we've got nine dietitians and an admin assistant, and that's very straightforward to me. We have three people in leadership, but when I think about a whole company with a multidisciplinary team and all the stuff that you need on the business side, I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to start. So yeah, fill us in (laughs) on what that was like to figure out. Yeah. I mean, it, it helped that we both had come from startups and in particular mental health and, and digital health startups. So we had seen different structures and things that we had liked and things that we hadn't liked, things that worked, things that hadn't. Um, and, and I think in particular, um, being on like very early and even founding teams has been really eye-opening because you see just from the beginning, like what are the pieces that you start to put in place? But you also, when you're in those companies as an employee, start to think about like the things that you would maybe do differently, um, which I think was a good like starting point for us because, and again, you say it leads from values, right? Like we, I think we started really from like a foundation of, um, of values. And then we, the first thing that we did that it was aligned with values was we recognize that the two of us are not clinicians. Uh, and so it was important to us that the first foundational element that we would bring in to arise was actually having that clinical voice. So we actually informally at first brought together a care advisory board and then made it formal once we, once we had our fundraising. Um, and then we brought on our chief medical officer, Erica Jarasa, um, who spent her career deeply working in the eating disorder space as a child 
adolescent and adult psychiatrists. And so that, that was really the very first like foundational thing that we did for the company. Um, and then from there, it was kind of looking at, you know, in order to build this business, like we know we need, um, what, what are the things that like, Joan and I are really great at and can do for now when you're at this very early stage and you have to be scrapping, you have to be doing a lot of things. And then where do we know that we need to bring on team members that are going to be able to further that and, and build a lot, design a lot. And, um, and then of course are also like the folks who are actually going to be seeing our members, the care providers. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that was really kind of the starting point for it. And um, don't know if you have other thoughts you remember from like the very early foundation of it. Yeah. I, I think two things come to mind. One, I thought that starting like starting a company, I'd have to do everything from like the legal side and the corporation. Like I was like, that was always a roadblock in my mind of like, well, I can't do this. Like I have I have to do all this research and it's really incredible that there are, um, you know, legal firms out there who will actually do all of that for you, which is nice. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they tend to be quite expensive, but, um, what they will offer is that you can, until you raise a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of revenue, uh, they won't, they won't actually charge you. And so they're quite selective about who they bring on as a result. So in some ways, like you're already starting to pitch to the legal firms, but, um, that was an incredible lifesaver. And we also, um, looked at bringing on folks who run our accounting and keep that because to, to Amanda's point, like that's not something that we both enjoy. Um, and so it so was a, shrinks or not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And there's actually a great resource, um, called, I think 50 questions to ask your co-founder. Um, mm-hmm. and we actually, it was one of the first things we went through is we just filled that out independently and then kind of cross-referenced some of the agreements, similarities, differences. And one of the key areas is like listing out what your strengths are and there's different categories. And so it was pretty easy for us to then look at that and say like, huh, okay, legal, <laughs> need some support there. Um, and, and kind of identify their, like, you know, where else we want to really fill the gaps in. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing too, is, um, just be, you, you just learn that you get very good at just figuring things out. So inevitably, like we cannot hire for all the things, all the roles, all the things we need to do. And so Joan and I right now, like as much as we have delegated between you know, Joan's our chief product officer. And so she's leaning a lot more into the, the technology and the product build and, and working with our product design and engineering team. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of my time is focused more on the marketing and the business development and working with health plans. Um, but necessarily we're both in doing a million different things all the times and it being very scrappy and you don't know what you don't know. And so I think that there's just a level two of, you know, we, as we built the team, it was identifying like core areas that we wanted to have really strong foundations for the business. And then beyond that, just being willing to be like, we're just going to learn things that we've never done before. Or we, you know, we just, you just figure it out as you go. We relate to that so much. Um, Very, obviously we do not have like a VC back startup or anything like that, but Hannah and I had only like met in person once and then didn't really talk to each other and then like reconnected over Zoom. And within a matter of weeks, like we were like, yep, we're going to do this together. We have a whole document of like what Hannah's responsibilities are, which are the finances, because I hate that. (laughs) I love doing more of like the design, creating social media posts. So totally get like the division of responsibilities. And then uh, we have like a time blocked out and we're like, let's just Google how to do this together. And figure it out. And you do have to get scrappy. Yeah, totally. Your best friend. Yeah, exactly. And just like, I mean, 
it's funny. I just remember like the first time that I was like, legal is a great example, right? You like think about the first time that you're like understanding the nuances of like how to set up a professional practice versus like the corporation that we have and like how those two entities work together. And now I'm like, great. I could like tell another startup how to do it. Like you just learn. And I think it really speaks to all of the systemic barriers too, to folks who aren't, you know, for women, for folks who, you know, aren't really that like anyone who's not a white cis man, basically Um, in that, like a lot of that is learning it from other people or hearing from someone else, like, oh, I can go to a law firm. I didn't know that. And there's so many things in place that make it harder for folks who don't have that network network and connection to be able to do that. And so I think for for Amanda and I, we we both are really passionate about making sure that we're passing that forward to other folks who, um, you know, for for me, other uh, people of color to be able to like navigate that space a bit more. Um, Because you know, there's so many great ideas out there and there's so many talented people out there. And it's just a matter of these, like not knowing that these resources are available, that's blocking them. Yeah. Founder community is, is definitely important. Um, we, we think more and more tapping into that and just like leaning on other folks who are doing different things in the space because, because the reality is that they're like, a lot of us are experiencing the same challenges, the same roadblocks. Um, but there's something to be said just for like emotional support around that, that comes from other people who get it much like, you know, with a rise, like we see the same thing, right? Like community with other people who are actually going through the same things just matters so so much, um, which obviously just, just shows up in so many different facets of life. 100%. And it ties back into why you're creating what you're creating in the eating disorder realm of community matters. People being together matters. Um, I would love to hear how big is Arise right now? Like how many people are working for you guys? What is going on in this present moment? So we can use it as a time stamp a year from now, see where you guys are at. Yeah, totally. Um, So we have about 15 team members right now. A few of those are are part-time folks. Um, So about half of those folks are like actually working with our members. I should say too, our members are are what we call our, what you all might call clients or or patients. Um, So about half of them are actually working with members. That includes our care advocates, which are um, folks who are doing a lot of like the peer support and coaching uh, alongside the clinical folks. Um, And so we also have clinicians on the team, so therapists, registered dietitians, um, and, and a physician as well. Um, and then half the team is on kind of the product and business side. So uh, care operations. So like working very closely with the care teams to operationalize a lot of what we're, what we're delivering, um, as well as engineering product and, and design. Um, so that's, that's the crew that we have right now. And we've, we've been, one of the greatest joys of doing this work has been how, amazing of a team we've been able to bring together and all these folks who took a bet on us when we were in this very early stage. Um, I just can't say enough about just the, the wealth of not only knowledge and expertise in different areas, but importantly, just the deep humanity of each of them and their lived experiences and the empathy that they have and their like just understanding of what we're doing here. And I I just, I, I seriously am blown away by it every day. And we like literally see it show up every day, like somebody's personal experience or something that they interject into like a product decision or like a decision about the care we're delivering. Um, there's just no substitute for that. So, um, so at this moment of time, we're in this, you know, really special period 
we have these 15 folks who are here and very mission tied culture is like, so such a thing that Joan and I have always cared so much about from the beginning. So like that piece of it is just really magical right now. Um, and then otherwise to where we are right now. Um, so Joan mentioned, we just launched in her home state in Texas. Um, and so we're seeing members or starting to see folks start to engage with our care advocates and with our clinical team. Um, so now, now we're, now we're looking ahead to North Carolina, to seeing more folks in Texas, um, to being able to expand insurance coverage. Um, we are a couple of weeks out from accepting Medicaid in Texas. So it's, it's this, it's this really cool moment where we're about to go, you know, really be able to expand access and get more folks into care. Um, but right now also just feels like a really special moment for our team that we've been able to pull this off so quickly. Getting to, I mean, getting to know that y'all are expanding more insurances and, and having that be an access to care too, especially with Medicaid is just freaking incredible. Like so exciting. Absolutely. And I'm wondering too, for the way that you all have your company set up, are you doing billing per service or are you doing like a package deal for billing? Yeah. So basically to get us out there and start seeing members, like we wanted to just go fastest to being able to start seeing people. So we just are doing, you know, the standard kind of in-network um, contracts for now, but where we're really aiming to go into exactly what you said. So like a bundled rate structure where we're not having to worry about like, can we bill for this dietitian session or, you know, there's just such limitations here. And so we're really aiming to move into bundled rates so that we're just able to say, okay, this is, this is all of the types of services that folks can benefit from in our program. So that includes things like the care advocate and the group support that are not traditionally going to be billable under a lot of plans. Um, and we're able to structure it on a monthly rate. And so, you know, these are all the things we're going to have flexibility within there so that we can support folks in the ways that are going to best work for them. Um, and we're also doing so on, um, on ideally we're moving into like a tiered bundled rate structure, which means that somebody comes in and they have, um, you know, a higher level of need. And, and when I say that for us, it would be like someone who might um, in today's like treatment landscape qualify for like an IOP. If that person comes in, we would go through like a higher level of care with a higher frequency on the clinical appointments and then move down into like what we're calling an active maintenance phase um, where we're really leading into the care advocate and the community support and less frequent on the clinical services. Thanks for sharing that. That's a, a conversation that we have had frequently of, of like, you know, what's included. Hannah gets that question a lot of like, what's included with insurance. Can I bill for hours outside of like doing care coordination? Can I bill for whatever? And so, right. um, constant conversation. And I don't know if, I mean, I guess it would just have to be like a, a, the way that you would set it up an individual necessarily wouldn't be able to do tiered stuff though. I will say, I feel like memberships are becoming like, like, quote unquote memberships sure. are becoming more, more accepted, well-known, hoping that there's some movement in there with insurance. It doesn't require all the, the hurdles I imagine y'all had to jump through in order to get that set up. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting just like being like deeply in the digital health space. Like we are, we like see a lot of other companies who are doing that type of membership tiering and the really awesome thing about that is it is empowering like the person who actually wants to get this like specific type of care that's going to best support their needs and is like very tailored to what they want. Um, 
it, it enables them to actually be able to access that care without like the typical hoops of like having to go to a PCP for a referral or whatever it is. Um, I think the challenge for us and why we're not offering those types of memberships um, right now is just because as you all well know, um, care for eating disorders is just already so expensive. And so we really, as much as possible, want to be focusing on where can we make sure that we're accepting insurance um, so that the member doesn't need to worry about like, Oof, well, like if I'm going to go to this extra therapy appointment or I'm going to go to, you know, this extra session with my dietitian because I'm having a really hard week, I have to worry about, oh, it's going to be another copay. So that's really where we want to focus on, like, how can we, how can we reduce that friction? Because it ultimately, like, it makes it harder for you to engage in care, even if you're motivated to want to, the cost barrier, um, even if it's just a copay, it's still like a mental barrier of like, every time I go to a session, like, it's going to be this. So we were really focused on like, how do we just make this more seamless and, and covered? I feel particularly passionate about that because Morgan and I are both dietitians. And when we think about the outpatient care team, the doctor, the med prescriber, the therapist, and the dietitian, and people being private pay, who usually gets knocked off the team first? The dietitian, when you're treating an eating disorder. Right. So right. it's always been a no brainer for me in my practice and working with other clinicians who are building group practices that taking insurance is a way to support. It's just a win-win. It's a way to support the community and reduce the barriers for people getting access to care. And it's also a great business decision because getting paid through insurance usually happens more unless you're treating only rich people, which again, doesn't seem to go in alignment with what you're trying to build here. Totally. And, you know, I think what's encouraging here is that you do increasingly see some health plans that are more willing to explore this type of bundled rate. Um, you see it with some other eating disorder providers, but you also see it in substance use disorder and some other conditions that really require the integrated care team as well as like peer support. Um, so, so I think that's the other thing too, is, you know, just seeing um, an emergence of that type of creativity and, and innovation on the health plan side and willingness to pay for things that haven't traditionally been seen as clinical care. So you're seeing more plans. There's even just one this week that announced free behavioral health coaching. So there, there's some shift here, which it gives us hope that, you know, we can move into these types of structures instead of operating in fee-for-service. As we all know, with starting a business, there are a lot of risks, but also a lot of rewards. What would y'all say has been the biggest wins or like rewards in building a mental health startup? I can kick us off. I think it all comes down to seeing our members get better. I think there, I think we were both holding our breaths a little bit in starting this entire venture. Um, even in building our team, like, does this all work? You know, are we going to see, are people actually going to get better? And that first moment when we launched our community beta last summer, um, when we started to see, you know, folks month one, month two, their clinical outcomes come back and folks were getting substantially better. Um, and they were, you know, hearing some of the testimonials of how it was the first time someone had ever met with a provider who looked like them, who actually truly understood them and was really there going, going to bat for them. Um, that, that to me has been really the biggest win and is, is the one that I continue to look forward to is seeing more folks actually come in and get better. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it's absolutely like the best part of, of getting to do this work. 
Um, I will say too, the, the other thing that keeps hitting for me is uh, it wasn't all that long ago that I was in it myself. And uh, I actually was just with my parents this past weekend to have been along for the 20 years of, of my ebbs and flows with all this. And my mom just reminded me of, there was a time in my twenties where I was just like, I don't understand why this is happening to me. And like, just so deeply in it and, and so unable to see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, that I, I couldn't, I couldn't see why this might be happening or, or I couldn't see any good to what, what, you know, might become of this. And it, it called me back to actually my teenage years. I remember this constant refrain that I would always say that was like, why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just like, you know, be able to deal with this stuff. I should be able to deal with this. And first of all, I will say, we all know that now this is actually something that so many other people are going through. Um, but I think for me, it, it really hits that, you know, this, this was something that I could take some good out of having lived through this myself, because if we can do anything to actually support more folks in healing and not have to go through that period where you're so lonely and isolated and feel like you're the only one going through it. If we can even do that for a handful of people, that's amazing. And if we can do that for hundreds and thousands as, as we grow, I, I mean, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. Um, but that has been the thing that keeps coming for me too, um, at a personal level. And then what have been some of the biggest challenges that y'all have faced since starting when growing a mental health startup? There's a lot going on at all times of the day. And it does feel like a little bit, sometimes you're, you're balancing just multiple things, like literally balancing plates on different hands and, and everything. And, um, and, you know, I think it's, it's hard to really I think one of our, one of our biggest goals is to really prioritize and focus because we, you know, basically every startup, there's just always tons of things to do and it's a good problem to have. Um, but when that starts to become disorganized in a way that, you know, there's, there's lack of direction and focus and purpose, that's where we want to, you know, that's where there needs to be a little bit of a a reassessment. Um, and so I think Amanda and I are, are, you know, really good about taking a pause and thinking, is this the right approach when things are getting a little too hectic and what are we not going to do is an important question that we ask ourselves a lot. Um, Cause it doesn't just impact us. It impacts our team. And when we're overwhelmed, that trickles down into our team. And so um, I think there's a lot of uh, for both of us, intentional work on making sure that, you know, we love the work and we're going to, we're going to really delve into it. Um, and it's going to be an ongoing battle for us always, but that we're taking step away, taking the step away to really take care of ourselves that we can take care of our team who, so that they can take care of our members. Yes. You can't always be drinking from the fire hose. Well, thank you all so much for sharing uh, the journey of from start to up until this point. What are y'all's hopes for a rise? Like what do the next six months, one year, three years look like for y'all in terms of business growth? Yeah, absolutely. I think for this next year, we're really focused on uh, a couple of things. One is, can we get more folks in the door, but do so in a way that is really prioritizing their experience and focused on um, 
really impacting outcomes. So can we reduce, you know, symptoms on the eating disorder, symptom and behavior um, score? Can we really improve quality of life? Because that's a part of our um, core set of clinical measures as well. Um, can we really see that people are having greater levels of connectedness, social connectedness? Because we, we see from research that that is really tied into uh, where they're headed long-term in their recovery. So being able to kind of bring this first cohort of folks in, in, uh, in Texas and in North Carolina, um, and being able to, to demonstrate really strong outcomes um, for the individual too, right? Because we want people to, to get better and, and to feel better and to have that experience. So, um, so that, uh, of course, is number one. Um, and then from that comes, you know, we we do want to bring our eyes to more places. So as we mentioned, North Carolina will be next. Um, we are thinking ahead to if we would launch a third state um, in this year. So so we'll see about that. Um, we do also, we're seeing folks 18 plus right now. So and our roadmap for this year is also expanding to teens since we know, of course, that there's a lot of need there um, and really wanting to adapt our model that is, you know, about empowering the individual um, and how do we adapt that, of course, for, for teens where there are some nuances. Um, so, so it's, it's really, you know, it's focused on let's get really great care in the hands of more folks. Let's make sure that we're supporting them in, in healing. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see from there. Um, and I think our vision forward, of course, you know, as we think beyond this first year, um, or second year really, but where we want to go is, is being able to support, many folks of different identities and backgrounds and, you know, walks of life across the country um, and being able to uh, demonstrate that this model that does take a really person-centered approach and is really focused on inclusivity, that this can be really impactful. Um, and I think a part of that too is being a part of shifting how people perceive eating disorders. So we want to be a part of changing that conversation of breaking down stigma of having folks hear from people who represent different backgrounds, identities, experiences, that's going to validate for them like, hey, like here is somebody who looks like you who actually has experienced an eating disorder and that's okay. And it's okay that you are too and support is available. And so there's like this piece of it too that is not only like shifting how we societally perceive eating disorders, um, but also is going to like bring this, this community of support around people who are, who are living with this. And I think there's like a, a more macro level vision too, that, you know, I think we dream of a world where the power of all of our voices and the strength of our character and our unique differences are the first thing that we notice about one another and, you know, are the things that we really value in each other and ourselves. And, you know, I, I want to create that world for future generations and it's a world that we all deserved to live in. And, you know, we, we, you know, went through the eating disorder and learned a lot from it. And we have lived experience that, you know, has, has really shaped us and led to the development of Arise. But, you know, we kind of wish we didn't have that experience because yeah. this would have just been available. Um, and so, so really it's about creating that, that better world um, where, you know, all of our unique differences, all of our voices feel valued and heard. And it's not so much how we look that really influences our, our, um, how, how people value and judge us. Yeah. I think that's, that's so true. We've been talking a lot about how like 
Gen Z is so open about mental health broadly in a way that, you know, when I, when I was in a partial hospitalization, when I was 14 years old, I literally told everybody I wrote a book because I didn't want them to know that I was getting treatment for an eating disorder. And, and now there's so much more openness about, um, about experiencing anxiety or depression, um, or needing mental health days or whatever it is. But eating disorders are still so stigmatized. And so exactly as Jones has said, I mean, Joan and I have talked about this on a personal level, like, you know, we hope for our future kids that there is a world in which like, this isn't something that is like, so omnipresent and yet so hidden. Um, and so if we can be a small part of, of that shift in, in how our society sees, you know, all of us, I think that will be uh, really important and and magical. We're just so thankful for y'all sharing the story of Arise and for just creating such an impactful company. Hannah, anything you want to add before we dive into our rapid fire question round? Nope. Let's do it. Cool. Okay. So we have a list of eight questions for y'all. We just want y'all to say the first thing that comes to mind when we ask this. So y'all ready? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. If Arise was an animal, what would it be? Phoenix. Oh, <laughs> you got a, a <laughs> unicorn and a what? A phoenix. So <laughs> mythical. Oh, yes. I love that. So majestic. Good call, Joan. What is y'all's favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Oh, the team for sure. Agreed. What is your morning routine to get ready for the day? <laughs> Both of us are terrible at morning routines because we're total night owls. <laughs> Uh, coffee and face plant into work is my not great answer. <laughs> Mine is roll out of the bed, play with the dog and then get on the first call. Cause usually I'm waking up like two minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Catch us at 8 PM and we're doing much better than 8 AM. <laughs> Love that. I, um, I am team morning person. Hannah, you're a morning person too. I'm in a season of team not morning person actually. And I hate it. I'm so sad. I literally got up at eight today and I know that's still morning, but I was getting up at six for a while and it was feeling so good easing into the day. But for the last month, I'm not even shitting you every single morning. Snooze, 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 snooze. Like that's just in bed. Life. <laughs> 6 a.m. I only see 6 a.m. If I'm taking like a very early morning flight and it is painful. <laughs> Okay. So we usually ask the question if you had $10,000, but since y'all have already raised a lot of money, we're going to bump it up to, if you had a hundred thousand dollars to spend on a rise today, how would you spend it? Definitely some like community marketing stuff. Like I think being able to actually um, do some like local events, so we can like raise awareness where people actually are, as opposed to, um, you know, finding us online. Like we want to do more of that over time. So that's probably where I'd put it today. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think I would definitely put it into marketing. Um, and I think community marketing is a, is a really important way. Um, you know, I think if the right, you know, like partner came along, you know, someone who's really well-known who can really like expedite our ability to shatter that stereotype. Like I'm thinking Lizzo, you know, (laughs) (laughs) then, you know, we would, we, we would love that too. Lizzo would be an excellent spokesperson for a rise. We love to see it. Especially being like our anthem this year. Mm -hmm. Yes. What is the hardest decision that you've had to make in your business? I feel like we make hard decisions every day. Um, 
It's not so rapid fire anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a lot. It, it is. I mean, I think that's a reality of being an entrepreneur, right? Like you are making like pretty tough decisions on the regular, um, which I will I, say, I think, oh, go ahead, John. Yeah, I have a good one. Um, you know, we, we thought a lot about self-pay membership. Um, and, you know, cause in, you know, in one way you expand access to folks who don't want to use their insurance, but it also makes the cost extremely high and inaccessible for a lot of people too. So it was like, there, there, you know, there are two different sides to this coin and, and, you know, what are we prioritizing? And ultimately, um, it, we, we went back and forth probably, you know, three times and, uh, you know, consulted all of our team, um, and ultimately just decided that, you know, the focus right now is getting this covered with insurance. And so how do we like, you know, to the point of like ruthlessly prioritizing, how do we make sure our team is, is focused on that mission and like moving forward there and not distract folks from having to create like 10 different pathways now to like, you know, enable self-pay. Um, and then, you know, down the line, as we expand, definitely it's, a, it's an option for us and de- definitely something we're exploring. But that one was a hard one because it was like, you know, in the spirit of accessibility, there's multiple different routes you can take there. What is it your least favorite task that y'all have happily outsourced? Financial modeling. <laughs> oh, I, I, I will do it and I've been deep in it, but being in tedious Excel spreadsheets is um, not my favorite thing in the world. And mine is design. I, I love a good design, but I just don't have the patience to like really commit to it. And so I just can't tell you like how appreciative I am of Izzy, our product designer. You know, I had to create this deck for a partnership and, you know, I, I like started going through it. And I was just dreading having to like make this look better. And I was like, Izzy, can you take a pass with this? And it was beautiful. Um, and, and I just am like so grateful for the, the talents that our team really brings. And see, that is a perfect example. Both of those are perfect examples of like no when to bring in folks who are great at something that is maybe you're not, not your strongest suit. What is the best thing that y'all have eaten in the last week? I got these chicken tamales from HEB. It's like my go-to and I know it's going to be a busy week. I like just pop it in the microwave for a minute and I'm good. Um, but it's just like a reliable hearty meal. That's just really good. <laughs> and HEB does some good tamales. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love that. Um, I would, we were visiting my parents this weekend. Um, and my favorite food by far is any form of pasta. Uh, and I grew up in, in Rhode Island and, um, it's a large, uh, Italian population. There's this, this neighborhood called federal Hill, um, that has a lot of, a lot of rich, um, history. And there's this place, um, that we get like fresh Italian food, like homemade pasta and sauce. And so my parents, knowing that we were coming home, got us some fresh ravioli and all all, all the fixings and it was delicious. And we have one last bonus question for Joan, because I can't go this whole episode without mentioning it. How does it feel to be uh, recently listed on Forbes 30 under 30? <laughs> you. you know, it's, it's felt very normal. And, and I mean that in like the best way possible, because I think it represents my own healing journey and not feeling like, you know, every accomplishment like that, that's what I'm working towards. I think for me, so much of my life has been dictated by like the destination or the goal being something that I have to like sacrifice everything in pursuit of. Um, and I think for me this time, it really represented healing from that. Um, it, it felt like, oh, it's great that like, you know, 
to be recognized and to really have the team's work be recognized. But I love this journey and I love being able to do this. And I feel so grateful, you know, with who I get to do this with um, that, you know, it, it feels like I know my own worth in and of itself. Um, and yeah, that's a great, like nice thing to have. And um, I think for me, it's like, how do I make sure like more people of color can get on that list? And how do we start to break some of those barriers um, more so than like, oh, like this was, you know, I'm super proud and like, this is it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's felt, it's felt nice, but like also normal. Oh, what an incredible marker of like growth and everything has kind of come together to this moment that was never the end goal, but just a nice, a nice stop along the way as y'all continue to develop a rise. Well, thank y'all so much for joining us before we officially end this, where can folks find either y'all personally or a rise? How, how can they connect with you? How can they learn more? Yeah, you can learn more on our website, which is www.wearise.com. Uh, you can also follow all of our social media, which is at join arise. Um, we're actually doing an Instagram Instagram live tomorrow, which Joan will be a part of um, on Lunar New Year and kind of some of the, the nuances of the holiday for folks navigating, um, navigating eating and family and all the things. Um, so you can follow us on there. And if you want to get in touch with us, personally where amanda at wearise.com and joan wearise.com um and you can also follow me on social too i'm uh my instagram is re reluctantly public but um you know trying to share all the arise things out basically <laughs> amazing well thank you all so much and thanks for chatting with us thank you for having us this was so fun Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week. Please, 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 please leave us a rating and review. We love reading your reviews and share with a business bestie to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. We'll see you next week. Bye.